0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi and welcome to Health Check. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with The Straits Times. Today we're going to talk about dying well, or specifically the care that goes into enabling that. Palliative care is a topic that's been in the spotlight of late. The government is keen to boost efforts for such care, particularly to help more people fulfil their wish of dying at home instead of at a hospital. It is hard to talk about death, much less start planning it. So to help us navigate the topic of palliative care today is Clinical Associate Professor Aletia Yee, a Senior Consultant at the Division of Supportive and Palliative Care at the National Cancer Centre of Singapore. She was the head of the division before she was seconded to RCC Hospice to be the Clinical Director in 2018. Dr Yee is also the Deputy Head of the SingHealth Duke NUS Supportive and Palliative Care Centre as well as the Education Director of the Lian Centre for Palliative Care at Duke NUS.
1: Hi, Dr. Yi. Welcome to Health Check. Thank you, Joyce, for inviting me. Thank you.
0: So let's get straight to what is palliative care.
1: Yeah. Palliative care is really about helping people with serious, life-limiting illness to live well and to leave well. And common serious illnesses include cancer and organ failures like kidney failure, chronic lung diseases, Advanced dementia, advanced Parkinson's, motor neuron disease, and any health condition that's likely to get worse with time negatively impact a patient's quality of life and shorten life expectancy.
0: Doctor E says there's also another condition that people often don't recognize as serious, and that's frailty. The state of being frail is often, though not always, related to aging,
1: and is itself a very serious illness with poor quality of life and reduced survival. and In an ageing population like Singapore, this is something that we really have to take note of.
0: So Dr E, the terms palliative care and hospice care are often used interchangeably, right? So how is palliative care different from hospice care and also end-of-life care?
1: Okay, the word hospice actually describes the institutions that provide palliative care in the community. Uh, That is outside of acute hospital. And in Singapore, these institutions are often run by the voluntary welfare organisations And community hospitals themselves, which are funded by government, actually have palliative care beds set aside. Um, But they are not called hospices because these beds are part of the community hospital. End-of-life care is a difficult term to define because you ask different people, they have different definitions um, as to when dying starts. But in general, on a pragmatic basis, clinicians tend to define it as the last few weeks of life. And so if you think about it, end-of-life care is really like a subset on a continuum of palliative care, uh, where palliative care has really started more upstream, uh, and preferably at the early part of the serious illness.
0: I see. So these services are all for people facing the end of life?
1: Yes, serious illness and uh, facing the end of life. I would put terminal illness the same as uh, serious illness. Uh, Because terminal, this word, tends to give people an idea that it is the last few days, the last few weeks of life. But really, people living with serious illness are deteriorating over weeks, months, sometimes years. So it's not just limited to, you know, the very, very last leg. And a lot of time, it's very much dependent on the medical practitioners referring them to the services. Most people are not aware of the services. Uh, Some are, but many are not. So it's often dependent on the clinicians referring them. And some will refer early, some will refer very late. It's more than pain management, but obviously pain management is an important part of the care. It's also management of any symptoms that's distressing for the patient so that they have a decent quality of life in whatever time they have. It's also about psychosocial and spiritual support. Because obviously, it's a very distressing and vulnerable time in their life. And not just them, their caregivers, their loved ones, their families. I mean, we must never underestimate the impact of serious illness uh, on the families. And so it's really supporting the patients and the families um, in this part of their journey. You mentioned
0: that many people are not aware of palliative care. So how is it going to be like for someone facing the end of life without getting such care?
1: I think it can be very tough for the patient and the family. I mean, already it's very tough to have a serious illness that is not curable, that is deteriorating and with all its physical symptoms and emotional uh, and spiritual issues. The hope really is that uh, palliative care can really make the journey more uh, bearable and um, the suffering less, as well as to help the patient and the family find hope and meaning in whatever time that's left and when i say hope i don't mean false hopes because i think nobody really wants false hopes but everybody needs hope to live everybody needs hope to continue in life regardless how long or short that life is and there are many types of hopes there's hope to be cured and if that's not possible, let's hope to prolong life. If that's not possible, let hope to have, uh, be free from pain and distressing symptoms or to be with family or to uh, achieve certain
0: specific goals. I see, but you did say that most people are not aware of such care, right? So, And if so, how are they going to access it?
1: Yeah, so most of the time it's unawareness. But if they are aware and they still need the doctor to refer, but most doctors will if the patient wants it. Most of the time, though, is the patient's unaware of the need and the doctors themselves don't recognise the need to refer. So that's when they don't get access. I mean, to also be fair, we have an ageing population and the need for palliative care services, uh, the demand will outstrip the supply. And so definitely we need to ramp up the manpower capacity and capability across all settings to meet the demands of an aging population.
0: So at what stage do people usually move to palliative care?
1: Actually, it's very difficult to know to know how long a patient has, to be honest, what we call prognostication in medical terms. It's actually very hard, especially for the, the non-cancers, especially for those with chronic non-cancer uh, diseases like organ failures, advanced dementia, advanced neurological illness. It's really hard to know when they are dying, or to estimate their life expectancy at different points in time. Because it's difficult to prognosticate, so it's also difficult for the doctors to say, oh, maybe I should start referring now. How is the decision usually made then? The home hospices in general will take in patients with estimated life expectancy of a year or less. But again, it's it's not going to be accurate. The prognostication isn't accurate, so it's estimated. And inpatient hospice is anything between three to six months. For day hospice is about one to two years. So again, it's estimated life expectancy and that makes it very difficult to predict. I think there's always a need to push of care more upstream. But uh, what is the model of care? Because really, as the patient deteriorates, at the beginning of the illness, the needs may not be so great. But as the needs increases along the illness journey, then yes, maybe the referrals or the access to the palliative care services uh, should increase. And so the thinking now really is that every healthcare professional really should have some basic palliative care knowledge and skills so as to be able to deliver that very basic palliative care uh, at different touch points and different patient encounters along that illness journey. But only when they need more than the basic kind of care the palliative care, then to refer on to the more specialised uh, palliative care services. So there's a real push to train every healthcare professional, whether it's doctor-nurse and allied health, in the very, what we call, generalist palliative care skills and knowledge.
0: Dr E, besides doctors and nurses, who are the other people in the palliative care team?
1: Okay, so really, uh, palliative care is like holistic care that is uh, uh, that looks at different domains of care It cannot be delivered by doctors alone. It has to be delivered through an interdisciplinary team approach. So doctors, social workers, therapists, nurses, pastoral staff, if there is, uh, really should be involved. Of course, not all need to be involved all the time. But uh, at different touch points, uh, some will be involved more than others. And that's the thing um, about palliative care is that like we don't really need the whole package all the time, uh, but we do need elements of the package at different parts of the illness journey. And that's the tricky bit. How do you design a model of care that is dynamic and addresses the different parts along the illness journey uh, and knowing where to give a bit of the package or the whole package? And that's the tough part. And that will need a thinking of on a population health level on how to design something like that.
0: Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now back to my conversation with Dr. Aliatia Yee, a Senior Consultant at the Division of Supportive and Palliative Care at the National Cancer Singapore and the Clinical Director of RCC Hospice. Dr. Yee talks about what comes next after a patient has been referred to palliative care.
1: So let's say if one is referred to the home hospice care, once the referral is accepted by the home care team, somebody from the home care team will contact the patient or the caregiver at home and then arrange a time to visit. And then the nurse is often the case manager and will journey with the patient and visit the patient regularly based on needs. And of course, uh, as needed, the doctors and social workers will also visit. If it's an inpatient referral, as in the sense that let's say a patient is in hospital and then after discussion, the patient and family, uh, the decision is to move the patient to an inpatient hospice because, for example, there's no one to care for the patient at home and the patient is deteriorating. And then the referral will be sent by the hospital to the inpatient hospice. And once accepted, the transfer is direct from the hospital to the inpatient hospice. And certainly for the daycare Daycare, these are more well patients. They're deteriorating very slowly. Then again, if the referral is accepted, they will come for an assessment and then uh, if accepted, they will continue uh, to come to daycare either daily or a few times a week depending on their needs. So, So there are three types of services. And if they are in the hospital and they need the hospital palliative care team, then the hospital palliative care team will go and see them. And work with a team, the other team that's actually looking after them as well, and co-manage the patient together.
0: So, if the patient is being co-managed, it means that the doctor is trying to prolong his life, isn't
1: it? I think there's a misconception that one has to give up life-prolonging treatment, and there, before referring to palliative care, there's this myth that is is binary. It uh, you know is either or, rather than is complementary. But there's increasing and lots of good evidence to show that uh, palliative care it goes alongside standard not uh, medical care for patients with serious illness. Actually, when the two come together in a complementary fashion, actually, uh, the evidence actually shows that these patients have better quality of life, they have less depression and anxiety, and actually some of them surprisingly live longer.
0: That's interesting. I guess it does give rise to the question of capacity, especially if more people are going to be put on it.
1: Absolutely. So the demand outstrips the supply. So uh, that's why there's this big push to really train everybody as much as possible. But we will have quite a lot of catching up to do because our population is aging rapidly. I, I trained as a doctor more than close to thirty years ago, but actually only got into the discipline after all the training, um, maybe more about fifteen years ago. And and I must say, when I first started, there was only a handful of us that were interested leapfrog to now lots of young doctors are actually very interested not only that the nurses are coming forward and very very interested and and so many people i like health they all want to you know all coming forward to say i want to be trained so i must say the movement has really caught on so dr
0: e can you share with us an unforgettable story that you have experienced in the course of your work
1: i can share a story um there are many many stories and and they're all unforgettable. Um, But I can share a story of a very brave lady who was suffering from advanced chronic disease, lung disease, that made her increasingly breathless and debilitated over time, over years, really. So by the time she was referred to our home care team here at RCC, she was already on home ventilation, and uh, she was cared for very lovingly by this helper who's actually more like a friend than an employee in the way that they care for each other. and. This lady was an ex-teacher and her wish is to complete writing a book about her illness journey before she dies. She's often breathless if she takes out the mask and she gets tired very easily. So what the home care team did was home care team and the home ventilation team, they worked very closely together uh, to actually help her fulfill her wish. So we had to like give her medications to control her breathlessness. The home vent team has to adjust the ventilator settings. Uh, we also had to provide her and her carer, emotional support, uh, and kind of like cheer her on to really complete this task. It took a long time, but she eventually did. She published a book, and then and then towards the end, she decided to come into the inpatient hospital at RCC uh, for her last few days. And she passed away here very peacefully. And the book was published before she passed away. And she actually um, autographed the books and passed it to us. And so I I suppose she showed us that one can still find hope and meaning in the midst of darkness and suffering, and and also how it takes a village to care for a dying patient. And the dedication of a carer is very inspiring and humbling for us to witness as well. So we must never forget about the carers, because they suffer as much as the patients. I think it's slowly changing. The public awareness of palliative care has has increased over the years, but... You know, it's really hard to face one's mortality and it's very human nature to live as though, you know, we live each day as though we're gonna have the next day, right? <laughs> we 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 don't we don't live each day thinking we're gonna die. We try not to. But that's what human nature, right? And I think therefore it's very hard for people who are to think of positive care. Certainly not when you're healthy, but when you're even when you're sick, your first thought is, Can I get better? Right? And the next thought is if I can't get better can something be done to prolong my life? So I, I think it's hard for them to think of palliative care as something on top of their list. But, but, but that's also because they're not aware that it can be complementary to whatever kind of treatment they're having. And it's supposed to help them live well through the treatment, live well through whatever time they have. Because ultimately, ultimately, mortality is the one certainty that we all face.
0: How do you handle patients who cannot accept that they are facing the end of life?
1: I think we, we are here to be at where the patient is in their journey. So if the aspects of the illness patients cannot accept, we accept they cannot accept. But from what I can see is that actually most patients deep down know the reality Deep down, they understand things are not going well. They may not be able to articulate it, but deep down, they do know. And for those who actually choose to come to the inpatient hospice, I think it becomes a bit easier because most people, by the time they come into the inpatient hospice, they have more or less accepted that their illness is not curable. At the home care setting, we see a range of patients. Patients who are fairly well to patients who are very ill. And so sometimes it takes time for them to kind of uh, come to terms with how things are going. And we just journey with them, we pace with them. We don't force people to accept, you know, faster
0: than they can. So how is palliative care given at, say, a GP or a polyclinic compared to a specialist centre like the National Cancer Centre?
1: What does a polyclinic doctor need to know? Uh, Well, at least very basic pain control management and basic symptom control management, ability to identify uh, distress, ability to respond in an appropriate way and able to know when to refer for help, so to speak, and able to communicate with patients with serious illness in a way they can receive it. That's a skill as well. All my patients have serious illness, <laughs> right? All my patients have serious illness as life-limiting and, and most of them are expected to pass away from these illnesses. Most of them pass away uh, within a year or maybe by two years' time. Uh, that's my world, right? And, and out of those who pass away within a year, a lot of them pass away within six months. So That's my kind of world. Yeah. So, I mean, all doctors are healthcare practitioners and understandably, first and foremost, must know how to save lives. That's what we're trained for, right? The truth is, the many lives we cannot save, but we can prolong. And uh, and then out of that, the many lives that we can't prolong either. There will be many people out there that we hope we can make the quality of life better, but we can't make the disease go away completely. That's why... You know, the palliative care bit is really about saying for those patients who can't be cured of their condition, but still living um, and perhaps deteriorating, you know, what can we do to help them uh, live well during this time? I think that's the concept.
0: This is part one of a two part series on palliative care with the clinical director of ACC Hospice, Dr. Alethea Yee. Watch out for part two in two weeks' time. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa enabled devices.